Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 74, the UEFA Champions League final preview with the one and only Nico underscore O Morales. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a bit hot. It's a bit warm. It's rained a lot today, but it's very... It's warm warm over there, Dave. Uh, What did I tell you yesterday about the temperature over here? It was 107 or something like that. I don't even know what that means. 107 degrees, Dave. Fahrenheit, not not Celsius. What's that in Celsius? You know, let's talk real numbers here, Nico. Uh, bad at bad at conversions here, folks. So look look it up on your phones, your your <laughs> devices. <laughs> on that note, let's move on to the news. So there's a few little bits of items of news that we want to talk about today. Not a lot, because of course this is a Champions League final podcast. So why waste our time talking about Arsenal's 100 million euro bid for Kylian Mbappe? It was genuine. It was rejected by Monaco Nico. That means Mbappe is worth more than £87 million. How much is he actually worth for you? I don't know if it actually means that. I think maybe Monaco just want to hold on to their assets as well as the fact that maybe someone like Kylian Mbappe doesn't want to leave Monaco right now. It would be the best for his development to stay there right now, being that he is so young. Um, and he has built, built a relatively good relationship with both the fans and Yardim and, and also the club. I mean, wouldn't you agree it's probably better that he sticks around for maybe another year or two before really making that big money move to to a big a bigger club. I mean, Arsenal and, and Monaco aren't even that different in terms of stature, at, at least at the current moment, especially since Monaco came so close to getting the final this year and Arsenal have just been eliminated from qualification of the Champions League. Yeah, 100%. Like, I wouldn't, if I was Mbappe or I was Mbappe's advisor, I'd be telling him to stay there till he's like 23, 21, 23. Why not? Like, what's the point in leaving now? He's in a perfect situation, like you mentioned, a better situation than Arsenal are in at the moment. He's playing Champions League football. His club got to the semi final. Yes, they'll lose Bernardo Silva. Yes, they might lose a few players, but they've signed Yori Tilsman. They've already made a cracking acquisition at the start of the window. So if they can make some more signings like that, which I fully expect them to do, they'll be competitive again in the Champions League. So there's no reason for Mbappe to leave right now. In other news, um, AC Milan have signed Frank Chiesi from Atalanta, a player that's uh, you know, been regarded as a very good young talent in central midfield, scored a number of goals at the start of the season. The goals did dry up uh, because he was playing deep in um, Gasparini's 
3-4-2-1 system. It was all about Alejandro Gomez at Atalanta. I wasn't too impressed with uh, Chiesi when I saw him play. He was was okay, but he didn't he was he didn't like stand out. He didn't shine in, within the side. So it's an interesting move, and it's a move for a player that is developing well um, over his you know short career so far. In other news, Willy Sangol has become the new assistant of Carlo Ancelotti at Bayern Munich, following him being sacked earlier on uh, the season by Bordeaux. From the, the when I watched Bordeaux. Um, Watched him a few times when they played PSG. I was pretty pretty impressed by how uh, Willy Sagnol's got his side set up. They were very aggressive. Uh, Kazawi, who joined Sunderland, was was very impressive. The game that I watched, um, you know, scored a free kick, pressurised the goalkeeper into the mistake. But they were good. They were compact. They looked very good. But obviously, it didn't work out there. It would be an interesting one for him to learn under the great Carlo Ancelotti. And to finish things off, let's talk about the biggest wage bills in football. So a list has been dropped today with Barcelona at the top spending two hundred and seventy nine million pounds on wages over the season the list then drops down to Manchester United then Chelsea Real Madrid Manchester City in fifth PSG Arsenal Bayern Munich Liverpool and Juventus which is pretty interesting considering the, you know the t- sides at the top there Man United Chelsea and Manchester City um, didn't really compete in the Champions League uh, to such a great extent Nico are you surprised that all these Premier League clubs are blowing so much money on what perce- what is perceived to be good talent but arguably on the European stage has been showed that it's not yeah, I think you also have to look at the the inflation of the wages in each league. Um, if you scroll further down that list, Sunderland's wage bill is actually higher than Atletico Madrid's, if you can believe that. Um, so it's it's definitely you know sort of a, a good juxtaposition of foreign clubs as opposed to Premier League clubs and how they spend their money on wages and sort of the inflation within the Premier League. But I think um, a few years ago, when Manchester City won the league, the the last league that they won, um, the players were on a Forbes list for the best paid players, uh, best professional professionally pl- uh, paid athletes in the world. And, and I mean, it, it correlates, you know, success correlates with how much you pay your players. So as long as you can justify it with some success in there, then you are at least uh, periodic success, maybe not consistent domination, but periodic success over the over a few years, you know, you can justify that wage bill to some extent. I just find it absolutely mental that these players are getting away with this. You know, Atletico Madrid competitive in the Champions League for so long. Like, surely as a owner or a, a boss of a Premier League side, you should evaluate that and you should say, look, Atletico Madrid, they pay they pay around this amount of money. Let's work out what we can pay per player, then build a wage structure around that. Sunderland and be like, you know, or even less than that. Do you know what I mean? Sunderland got relegated. I understand the inflation and what you're saying there, but at the same t- time. People aren't getting, you know, the Premier League is massively overpaying. You know, Liverpool, bigger wage bill than Juventus. Juventus have a massively talented squad. Liverpool have a number of players that need to be put in the bin. It's a real interesting one. I think it's something that needs to be evolved for these Premier League clubs because at the moment they're getting absolutely ripped off in the market. Anyway, let's move on to the big one, the big talking point of today. That is Real Madrid playing away in Cardiff against Juventus, who are the home side for the evening. Juventus to be playing in their classic white and black stripes. Real Madrid are going to be playing in purple. Nico, do you think that's going to change the game? Not at all. Um, I don't think it really matters who's the technical home team because they're both away from home. They're obviously in Cardiff. Um, so I don't really think it has that much of a of a difference. I'd actually like to see Juventus in their third kit, though, the uh, the zebra print mm-hmm. black and white. I really, I really do like that kit, yeah. They all seem to the Italian kit manufacturers or you know, the Italian clubs always seem to have better kits, better, much better designed kits. But anyway, before we talk about the game, let's talk about how those two teams got there. The road to Cardiff, as it's called, on the notes section. First up, let's talk about Juve, who in the last sixteen uh, drew Porto. 
a favourable tie, an easy tie, probably the best, one of the best draws Juve could have got. Um, they ran out winners, three goals to nil on aggregate, with two sending offs from Porto in both legs. Nico, what did you make from that game, the Porto game? It just seemed like a, a block that Juventus just needed to get past. I didn't find the game that interesting. It was quite boring. Juventus slowed the tempo down. But did you feel there were some building blocks there to see this Juventus side coming from that to the final? Yeah, definitely. I think this is the journey of, you know, we started to see the the fluidity in which we associate Juventus within the, the fluidity that in which we have um, consistently associated specifically Max Allegri with. And this game really started it all. You know, this is where the business end of the competition really begins. And that was the start of it. Porto was, although they're a good team and they're definitely a good team within the their own realm of the of the Portuguese league, this is a game and realistically a tie that Juventus it never seemed in doubt they were able to control the tempo of the game um and it was really a, a very secure win for Max Allegri and that's that's where this all started and, and it continued through the next tie um when they played Barcelona and then Monaco and then obviously to the final and hopefully they'll be able to do it against Real as well but it's interesting that you do mention the Barcelona game because that was a real turning point for me to see whether this Juventus team could cut the mustard in a defensive sense. Barcelona beating PSG in the second leg of the, one of the best games in European football that we've ever seen. Neymar at the heart of that victory. But coming to Juventus, it was a different proposition. The first game away in Turin and Juve absolutely bossed that with Dybala grabbing two goals, two slick counter-attacks and, and Chiellini grabbing a third, giving it three goals to nil to Barcelona. In terms of the second leg, Nico, were you confident that they could sit the, uh, you know, could see the game out, considering what they'd done against PSG at the new camp? Yeah, they had, unlike Unai Emery, and this is something that I wrote about as well, you know, Unai Emery had a perfect plan um, for the first leg, and his players executed it, to, you know, with with you know in an excellent manner but then he sort of freaked out in the second leg and he didn't really know what to do he felt like if he had the ball that Barcelona were were able were going to be able to press them off of it so he pretty much just sh- sat back and they got scored on a lot and they were defending within you know 12 to 15 yards of their own goal pretty much the entire game and that was completely different to the Juventus tie they had a game plan the first game that worked extremely well and then they did the pretty much the same thing in the second half and also you know one of the things that Max Allegri does well and is manage game state and the game state uh, especially when he's ahead always seems to play into his hands you know he makes sure that that you know within the first 15 20 minutes it's very intense they go after the goal they try to uh, have that you know, direct link up, whether it be Danny Alves to, to Mandzukic or Danny Alves to, to, to Dybala, you know, they, they try to pounce within that first 15 minutes so that they can really manage to control the events that happen within the rest of the game. And, and we saw, you know, how good Max Allegri has been um, both in that second leg and, and throughout the competition. I think he was very brave. He was very brave in terms of his team selection um, for both of those ties. I felt that he did very, very well to hit Barcelona, where they're so weak, and that is in the transition. They're so bad when they lose the ball. Um, you know, they, they look so lazy. Where they used to be so good at getting back, they look so lazy now. But it was credit to Allegri, you know, playing Cuadrado on the right wing, playing Mandzukic on the left wing, playing Dybala, playing Gonzalo Higuain. And those guys just linked beautifully in both legs on the counter-attack. I think of Dybala being the heartbeat of that counter-attack in that first leg, receiving the ball, getting it out wide to Cuadrado, and then usually receiving it back from Cuadrado or him looking to the back post. And it was just perfect counter-attacking football from Allegri. And he really worked out the weakness of this Barcelona side. Moving to the semi-finals, um, the big game was the 4-4-2 versus the 4-4-2. The darlings of European football this season, Monaco versus Max Allegri's Juventus. 
The first leg was an interesting one. It was killed by Gonzalo Higuain. He was ruthless in front of goal, scoring two quality goals. The second leg, it was pretty much game over. Monaco switched to pretty much a 3-4-1-2 to try and catch Juve out with Bernardo Silva behind Kylian Mbappe and Falcao as a sort of number 10. It worked, but it didn't really work. Mandzukic and Dani Alves grabbing the, grabbing two goals for um, Juventus and, of course, Mbappe with a late consolation on 69 minutes for Monaco. Again, Nico. Another tie, another attacking team versus a defensive team, and the defensive team won. The difference for me was the the uh, the centre halves that um, Juventus played, the aggressiveness of Chiellini and Benucci up against Mbappe, and of course playing Barzagli as sort of a right back slash right centre back, however you interpret this formation. But they were very aggressive on Mbappe and Dani Alves putting that tackle in that kind of put. Um, Mbappe out the game it kind of forced him out the game a brilliant tackle he won the ball fair but he definitely left something on um, Kylian Mbappe do you think Mbappe needs to evolve himself and be able to play these you know these tougher opponents with a bit more gusto a bit more aggression uh, yeah, but at the same time, I really don't think he, he did that poorly individually in the game. I think it was more of a systemic thing that Max Allegri was able like you said to to pull out the stops to make sure that he he wasn't, you know, flourishing in the ball. That was, that was part of the game plan. You know, originally within the, I would say maybe the first half or first 30 minutes of the game, Mbappe was dangerous, but then they sort of, the Barzagli was a, was a substitution, I believe, or, um, he came on later and then they were able to sort of, uh, adjust and adapt their formation so that, you know, they, they got to him very quickly. They didn't let him take a space. They didn't let him, uh, settle down and try to take on an opponent directly. And it was sort of an adaptation from Juventus that really stifled, um, is stifled Mbappe and we saw a little bit of tactical evolution from Jardim which is what was demanded of him after the first leg and like you said it worked a little bit but ultimately he didn't have enough options in that final third to overcome uh the deficit they that they suffered in the first leg so it it was good from Jardim but it was better from Allegri and that's that's been the case this season Mm, I think I kind of agree with that like Jardim is a a wonderful coach but there's Allegri's further down his coaching career. He's he's done it all. He's done the four four two. He's done the three five two. The three six one. The game management again. Going back to your initial point, Nico. In this game was fantastic. You know, moving to a from a four four two to a four five one to a five four one at the end of the game and sitting back with three centre backs, two uh, wing backs sitting in there, two really defensive um, wide players, completely covering that back four. Pjanic was fantastic again in both of those legs and, and really has been driving them through the middle again a question that we're going to dive in now so we've got a lot of questions in from the final I just feel it fits now we're going to, we were going to talk about it a little bit later on but I feel that now is the time that we should talk about it so Krishna um, on Twitter that's at Krishna um how much are Juventus missing Paul Pogba? And that's also mixed in with Ander Hollick's question, at Ander Hollick's question on Twitter. Do you think Juventus uh, would be as good as if they didn't sell Pogba because they wouldn't have signed Higuain? So those two players there, Pjanic and Gonzalo Higuain, in a way were signed because of the, the they sold Paul Pogba to Manchester United. Nico, do you think that's... Juventus have done the right thing. Do you think they should have kept Pogba? Do you think they've, they've you know, signing the two best players in Syria from the previous season was a good strategy? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, the most important thing that I'd like to highlight that was really down to Max Allegri was that when you sell a player of the caliber of someone like a Pogba, a Bale, you know, a big player leaves, it's important to not try and replace that player like for like. You change up the system to best suit the players that are either incoming or the ones that you already have. And the, obviously they brought in the the fantastic talent, the pretty much the two of the best players um, in Serie A 
in Gonzalo Higuain and Mirlan Pjanic. And what they've done is that Mirlan Pjanic is maybe slightly more, a little bit more of an upgrade in, in the current iteration of their system, considering he was much more of an attacking midfielder when he was at Roma, but now he's a complete midfielder. He did so much defensive work in that Monaco tie that, 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 it, that was something that was a big hole and probably still is to some extent a big hole in Paul Pogba's game um, is sort of the defensive work rate and stuff like that. But also, you know, how well they were they're able to to give someone like Iguain service who maybe hasn't hit the goal scoring heights of yesteryear, but at the same time has still done very well. And, and I think this is something that maybe you pointed out on the podcast a few weeks ago is that none of these Juventus guys are jumping out on the stat sheet. They're not a ranking number one goals or assists or anything, but it's a holistic system. And look where they are. They won the league. Uh, they won the, the Copa Italia as well, and, and they could win the Champions League. I mean, it, it's really less about who gets the plaudits and more about the team with them, and, and that shows in the system. I think that was kind of it. You, you had a real star player in Paul Pogba that really was dictating games and running the show when he when he turned up, uh, which was a loss of the games. He was absolutely fantastic, but they kind of replaced him, like you're saying, into the Gonzalo Higuain. They kind of needed that elite striker. They needed somebody that, that is a goal scorer, that is just pure goals. Um, in, in Europe, you always need that. You always need a guy, whether it's your winger and Cristiano Ronaldo or it's Gonzalo Higuain, a pure number nine. And that was a brilliant signing. But then linked with Pjanic, who has been at Roma and been doing so well for so long, whether he is playing as an attacking midfielder, defensive midfielder, or in, as a number eight, he could do all those roles. And I feel it was the perfect sort of signing. You're losing a star man, but you're bringing in two guys that arguably are worth a lot more to the side that tactically are a lot more disciplined, that are a lot better and know their roles within the side. I think that's it. It's kind of replacing a star man and now you've got you've got two cogs that you are missing and now you've got a complete team. You've got the full set. You're basically playing poker and you've got a you know a royal flush now is what I'd say with Max Allegri. Um, right, let's move on to Real Madrid's road to the final in the... Um, Last uh, 16, they played Napoli, which is a brilliant game. Lovely bit of football. Napoli, Nico, you love Napoli to bits. There was some fantastic interplay between Insignia, Hamzik, um, in the both of the legs. And Napoli looked like they were just a little bit immature for this time. Sarri's Napoli needs another year, another two years to be really competitive with Real. It just came out as Real were just too efficient and too good for them, right? Yeah, I think the the key really what happened here was that um, both teams really like to compact the space in different ways. Napoli like to do it in possession, and then Real Madrid like to do it out of possession when they're pressuring opponents. You know, they keep that high, they keep that very high line because they have athletic defenders in Marcelo, Carvajal, um, Sergio Ramos, and, and Pepe and Varane, and so they can compact that compact that space and make their pressing and and sort of they they shade passing lanes very well, um, and they can make those interceptions a little bit easier because the relevant size of the field is smaller. Um, so by doing that against Napoli, though they were able to get their quick passing combination sort of uh, off the line and, and maybe bamboozle them a little bit in midfield, that forces Napoli to go uh, longer in some senses because it's very difficult to play in such a small area so quickly. Um, and so since they invited that long ball so much and they didn't really have the direct option over the top, considering uh, Milik was injured at the time um, and really was for the majority of the season, then that really played into Real's hands. And then they were also able to uh, to inflict uh, their damage from an offensive sense. So, yeah, a little immature from Napoli, but still some brilliant stuff. Um, but it was really interesting to see the tie. I mean, this is a these are two teams that love playing, and the ball rarely ever went out of play. So it was it was back and forth. I, I'd rewatch that tie um, a million times over. DOR in central midfield as well, completed more passes in, I think it was in the second leg, than any other player on the pitch. And this fella's, what, 20 years old, 19 years old? Unbelievable talent. And again, I do think this Napoli team, 
we're going to see a lot more of them in the next few seasons. I think next season they'll be more mature. They won't miss the chances they did. I think they made they create some really big chances and you know insignia Mertens you know pulling wide. I thought Mertens was quite poor in the first leg, very good in the second leg, but needs to just be a little bit more clinical. As you mentioned, that direct ball over the top, Milik would have been that guy. So again, injuries just costing Napoli maybe. But again, they're in the development stage. It was a cracking tie, one of the best I've seen in a while. But then let's move on to the big one. Bayern Munich in the quarters. Bayern regarded as one of the favourites of the tournament. Real, one of the favourites of the tournament. It was a cracker. It was an absolute cracker. But Real Madrid winning the tie 6-3 on aggregate. I think this was the turning point of, for me, for again, not a turning point, but just showing why Casemiro is the best defensive midfielder in European football. You go to the Napoli game, Casemiro scores a wonderful volley, um, or half volley from outside the box and putting the ball in the back of net. What he did so well against Bayern is that they kind of forgot to pick him up. And they kind of made this mistake of thinking Casemiro is not a good ball player, isn't a good player, so we don't need to pressurise him or there's not enough, you know, we've got Cruz, we've got Modric, those are the guys we've got to focus on. And Casemiro, um, you know, you go back to the one of the goals I think it was in the first leg where he steps out of midfield he brings the ball out of midfield plays a wonderful ball out wide to Carvalho Carvalho crossing and Ronaldo turns home or maybe you know Benzema or someone like that but it's one of these things where Casemiro is slowly developing to being a really good all-round midfielder Nico in terms of Bayern Munich what did you think they lacked was it um, you know Lewandowski Thiago was he in their game enough why did they crash out so early this season because for me they, they should have won it I think, um, honestly, it comes down to a bit of bad luck from Bayern Munich as well. You know, the the tackles and challenges being thrown back and forth, in the, specifically in the second leg between Vidal and, and Casemiro, you know, you could have made an argument for either of them to get a red card at some point during the match. It was just sort of with the run of play that, that Vidal, unfortunately, was sent off. But also we have to we have to take into account how important Javi Martinez uh, is to Bayern Munich and sort of how intelligent he is, both as a central midfielder and also as a central defender. And then Bayern Munich having to play... Uh, incredibly injured Mats Hummels uh, for more than 90 minutes in in the second leg when he shouldn't have been playing at all um, was really, for me, a big deciding factor and also shows how intelligent someone like Mats Hummels is considering how well he did for for a lot of that game. Um, But like you said, Casemiro's excellent. and, And that's the thing with this Real team is that they have so many weapons. I mean, every single team member of the, every single part of that team is is a weapon i mean you, you can mark modric out of the game you can mark two cruz out of the game to some extent um but then you have to deal with casimero then you have to deal with all these other uh influences like influences on the game so they're they're a weaponized system all around and and that's i guess why they've gotten this far that is exactly that. They are. They have so many different weapons, and they were on show in the semi-final against Atletico Madrid, a much fancy Diego Simeone side. But Real battered them three goals to nil in the first leg, and it was game over. And the last game, the last Madrid derby that we're ever going to see at the Vincente Calderon. But what a game that was! The atmosphere was fantastic. Atletico stormed into a two-goal lead, but Isco killed the game. And this is an Isco that. I really became a fan of watching the Real Madrid B team and he really hit some good form in 2017. Like He was the best player um, by a country mile for the B team and he pulled that form on. He was picked by Zinedine Zidane to play at the tip of a diamond, which for me was brilliant. 
When you play a 4-4-2 um, in the modern day, they're usually defensive 4-4-2. You've got to think of ways to unlock them. There is playing a 4-3-3, but you've still got the counter-attack. If you play a narrow 4-4-2 diamond, you negate their press. And that's exactly what Zinedine Zidane did to Diego Simeone. Tony Cruz playing this weird position where he's playing almost as a left-back. Basically, Marcelo would push up and become a left-winger, and then Tony Cruz would use that space, negating the entire press from Atletico. Simeone didn't have a a move to come back to that and unfortunately in that first leg the 3-0 win was because of that single thing that Tony Cruz dictated the player of the game and of course you've got Cristiano Ronaldo who for me has just been awesome this season which moves us on you know this is another going to jump in question um, for us right now we were going to answer this later on Gearman on Twitter that's at Gearman on Twitter the top three players in the Champions League this season so I'm going to come straight in and say, Nico, Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player in the Champions League this season because he scored decisive goals. He scored eight goals in the knockout stages, including that fantastic hat-trick in the first leg against Atletico Madrid. When he needs to stand up, he needs to stand up. The technique, the power, the everything. Ronaldo has got that. Can you, you can't really argue with that. Ronaldo, best player? I can't argue with that. Um, I will say that, you know, he's a brilliant goal scorer. He's, he converts chances that really shouldn't be converted. Um, and he pops up in spaces because of his intelligence and his movement. But at the same time, I prefer a little bit more guile and craft to my, to my game. Dave, I know you like to be a little more, a little bit more direct. Um, and blunt, but Tony Cruz, like you said, you know, popping into it, he does that for Germany as well. He pops into a sort of a left back position. And that's really what he's had to do as the game goes on. I think that's a mark of a great player is that. Teams, players, coaches figure out how good players are, how they play, and then they try to negate that when they play against them, and they try to accentuate that when you play with them. And Tony Cruz has had to evolve this season. You know, people know how well he can distribute the ball and really change the tempo of the game from a central midfield role. So he's put more pressure in central midfield areas. So he's become part of the buildup. He's found ways to still be as influential while uh, not being necessarily comfortable so for me Tony Cruz best player in the best player in the Champions League you see the counter to that would be um, well there's a number of counters first up I'd say that Casemiro and Modric have dominated this game this season from that Madrid midfield I'd say that Casemiro was brilliant against Napoli Casemiro was brilliant against um, Bayern Munich wasn't as good against Atletico. Uh, I'd say Tony Cruz was better against Atletico, and then you got Modric in there that was very good against Atletico in the in the tie at the Bernabeu. I just think that they all like on that sort of similar level, but Ronaldo's just that step above. And then also the second point: if you've got Ronaldo number one for me, Dani Alves has to be number two. His impact against Barcelona was fantastic, how he bullied Neymar out of the game, but also was massive on the counter-attack. Then you go to the Monaco game, again, massive on the counter-attack. The crazy stat is that Dani Alves has created the most chances in the Champions League this season. Nico, are you going to say Tony Cruz is ahead of him as well? I am, Dave, but I will I will agree with you that, that Danny Elvis is definitely the, the second best player in the Champions League. The way he's been able to take, you know, like we've sort of gone back and forth about this 3 2 uh Sort of <laughs> nobody knows what system. it is anymore. Yeah, no, nobody knows what it is, but it, it's a Four very um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's a four back, it's a three back. It, it transitions in mm. between and Different and sort of goes of between. Yeah, and and Danny Elvis has has been able to accentuate the best qualities of his career at such a late stage. Um, and so, yeah, he's he's definitely up there with with some of the best this season. So on to number three, the third best player in my list um, goes one of two ways. I think there's I think there's two players that come in the top three for me, and I'd put Tony Cruz at three with Marcelo. Marcelo this season has been fantastic, 
both in the La Liga and in the Champions League. You go back to that uh, Bayern Munich game, that run from left-back. It was unbelievable. He went round three players. See you later. I think it was um, Thiago Kimmich, who'd just come on as a sub. And then, of course, um, Jerome Boateng or Javi Martinez, whichever centre-half it was, just went past him and then set up Cristiano Ronaldo with a square pass. It was brilliant. But apart from that, he's their creative pop. He's the attacking guy on that left-hand side. So commonly, he's ahead of play, creating chances, creating goals and everything. And I just think he's been brilliant in the Champions League this season. He's completed the most dribbles as a defender in the knockout stages, but also 80% of the dribbles that he's attempted in the knockout stage, he's completed. 8 out of 10 dribbles. That's a joke for a fullback. That's like Lionel Messi standards. Nico, are you going to have Marcelo at number 3? Yeah, I mean, you said it all. He's been excellent. Um, and another, you know, a criticism of his game in the past is is sort of the the holes he left behind for that, you know, sacrificing that um, attacking option. But he, he's he's cleaned that up, cleaned that part up out, out of his game. He, he goes forward in selective situations and he knows when to do it best now. And I think that's a continual evolution of his game that we've seen. And now we're seeing the peak of it. And, you know, he, he, he does so many incredible things from how he gets in behind with certain runs, his service to Ronaldo. Aldo Bell and Benzema and and just the way that he's such a complete player. I mean, he's probably putting himself in the conversation of some of the best fullbacks of all time. Mm, definitely. 100% one of the best fullbacks of all time now. Like you're saying, it's peak Marcelo right now. Play that we just got to mention, because we are talking about fullbacks, and fullbacks have been very important in the Champions League this season. I think we'll give a little shout out to Alexandro, who's been fantastic for Juventus at left back. The the run um, for the, the Mandzukic goal you know, from his own box to the opposition's box was brilliant. I think it was against Monaco. Uh, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What a run that was, and obviously that's one of, my, one of my favorite goals of the season. Such a good transition and started by Alexandro's gusto of going forward. But anyway, uh, the road to the final, of course, Real Madrid beating Atletico in the semis and a Juventus beating Monaco. Nico, who do you think's had the hardest run from the round of 16 to the final right now? Who's beaten the better opponents? 
I think by by some considerable distance, Real Madrid um, has had a more difficult one because Napoli, you know, by far and away, even Pep Guardiola says plays probably the best football in Italy. Although you know Allegri gets the results and he and he's pragmatic to 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 a large extent. You know, I think the best play um, definitely comes from Maurizio Sarri's Napoli, and then Bayern Munich. You know, they're 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 European giants just like the rest of almost just like a little step below. Um, and then Atletico Madrid, that that derby being so intense and Simeone being so good and sort of uh, changing Atletico's demeanor in the past few years, not just being a defensive team, but also being able to score goals very well. Um, it was three very difficult ties to get to the final, and, and they definitely deserve to be here. But that's not saying Juventus don't. No, I think Juventus, you know, have taken their own route. If you'd asked me at the start of the knockouts, the sort of the, the round of 16, who were the best teams left, I would have said Juve, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Atletico. So Juve knocked out Barca, so they beat one of these guys. But Real Madrid have already beaten Bayern Munich and they've already beaten Atletico Madrid. So just by that simple, who's the best in the tournament logic, I'd, I'd say Real have had the harder trip to the final if they win this final. It's going to be one hell of a side. Real Madrid, for me, have the best squad that's ever been assembled. I think. I, I can't think of another squad. That, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a compliment a big, there, big, David. Big state ever there. been assembled. Ever been assembled. I think it's got great depth. Like, as I joke about with the Real Madrid B team, but the Real Madrid B team is a very, very good side. And if you've yeah, got a really think, good B, B team, some, it's, it's credit to yeah, the manager. I, yeah, I think there's some La Liga guys that, that I speak to that say, you know, this this Real Madrid sort of B squad, as you call them, could could do pretty well in the league themselves. I think that moves us on to Bax Tom's question. Um, a legend of the DMs, at BaxTom98 on Twitter. Pragmatism or man management? Which skill would you would you like to possess as a manager, Nico? That's off the back of what I've just said about Zinedine Zidane being one of the best man managers I've ever seen in terms of how he's dealing with these Galacticos that absolutely exploded under Benitez and, and threw their toys out of the pram. His management of the B team, the A team. Would you rather have uh, pragmatism or man management? I think um, I think pragmatism. That would ultimately get me to where I wanted it to be, and then I could work on other aspects of my game. What about you, Dave? What, what, what would you go with? I think you'd have the same answer. Right? Yeah, I think I think I, you know I think I'm naturally pragmatic, but I also <laughs> I, I would I disagree think, with that. Dave think, Dave calls me just about every week for the podcast and doesn't have anything ready. He doesn't have his headphones in. He can't hear me. So this I wouldn't is call true. This is true. I, I have to go to my manager. Then I have to go with the man manager, pure <laughs> tactic side. And no, I think I, I, if you get going back to it, like the pragmatism is good. Um, I think the pragmatism is brilliant, but I think what is separating Zinedine Zidane from his peers at the moment is that man management. And at the moment, that is the best quality in any manager. So I think Zinedine Zidane is the best coach in the world right now. Uh, but it's because he's got all these different qualities and styles. And I think this man management for me at the moment it outweighs pragmatism. And I think that's why Real Madrid will win the final. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I love how we've mixed in a lot of questions. So now we're going to mix in a Max Allegri quote from his press conference this week. Iguain is a great striker and has already been decisive in the Champions League. I'm sure that Iguain will have a play a great final. Isco brings more unpredictability to Real Madrid's attack, but defensive disorder. Dybala has grown a lot with Juventus and won't feel the pressure tomorrow night. Mandzukic is a fine player and has already won the final, and that's no coincidence. Nico, what do you take from those quotes? Let's break it down word by word. First up, Iguain, a great striker and has been decisive in the Champions League. Got to agree with that, right? Yeah, definitely. I think he's more addressing the fact that, you know, we've seen Iguain in a few finals before, specifically with Argentina, and he hasn't been the greatest. So I think he's instilling that little bit of confidence confidence in his own player and saying, you know, you can do it. Um, Iguain knows he can do it as well. He was talking about uh, if he did play, he quoted him, or 
he said himself, um, you know, if I do play a final like the one in the, the 2014 World Cup final, just sub me off or something like that. So he knows the pressure's on. He knows he has to perform and he knows that he doesn't have the best history with finals. So I think it's good to see players acknowledging that. That's a very interesting interpretation. Max Allegri playing the Alex Ferguson game. Moving on to the second little part, Isco brings more unpredictability to Real's attack, but also defensive disorder. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and this is something I think we'll get on to in terms of exploiting the the holes or the the weaknesses in Juventus's attack and, and how Real Madrid can do that. But yeah, you know, he, he knows that if the more offensive players you put on the field and, and sort of the, the more offensive inclination they have, the, the more the less defensive uh, solidity you have. And, and Real Madrid, though, you know, they, they sort of play a risky defensive game with how high their line is and all the things they do in sort of uh, from a defensive standpoint. Um, Isco is not a natural central midfielder uh, or not, at least not in this system. And he plays when Gareth Bell doesn't play, he plays more as a, a floating sort of CM right winger type of eight ten sort of role um so it, like like you said it brings unpredictability and something that they'll have maybe a difficult time latching onto at the beginning but there's holes to exploit behind him 100 percent. i'm gonna i'm gonna answer the next little bit so the his quote on on dybala growing a lot up a lot at juventus and they won't feel the pressure of tomorrow night i completely agree with that i think we we saw how good dybala was against barca fantastic performance two goals so good on the counter-attack i think dybala is destined for stardom and he's going to see it in Cardiff and he will be composed, he will be calm. What he needs to do is get himself involved in the game. One of the criticisms I'd have this season of Dybala is he didn't, hasn't got himself involved as much as he did with Paul Pogba. That Juventus side had more Dybala to it. This Juventus side has less Dybala. Dybala needs to be more involved. And the final little bit, Nico, let's talk about Mario Mandzukic because this season he's been the best left winger in the Champions League, right? Yeah, it's weird. He's sort of like a hybrid left winger, striker type role, but he's been excellent. I mean, I didn't even know he could get up and down the field as much as he does in a left wing role. You know, when they're more defensive, he is more of a defensive less left winger. But then when they're more attacking, when Danny Elvis has the ball and he has that free space and he has that excellent delivery, he's an extra aerial option uh, to the far post. And that's that's an asset to any team. So it's it's been interesting to see how well, especially this isn't like something that Max Allegri has been working on since the beginning of the season Mario Mandzukic's transition from pure striker to left wing has been relatively recently and he looks right at home so definitely an asset and and I'm, I'm super excited to see how he plays in the final the final man, a very aggressive player, defensively been so good this season. Consistently like gets a stupid amount of clearances and interceptions, which a left winger just shouldn't have. Anyway, let's move on to our starting eleven. So I think we differ with who we think's gonna start, but we're gonna both give you our elevens for Real Madrid and Juventus. Let's start with Juventus and I'm gonna go with my Juventus team. I think it's gonna be a strict four four two. Buffon in goal, Barzagli right back, Benucci, Chiellini, Sandro. Into midfield and go Alves. Pjanic, Kadira, Mandzukic on that left wing and then Dybala and Higuain up front. Nico, what about your team? How do you see this going? More of a 3-5-2 sort of thing. 3-4-3, maybe 3-2, whatever, you know, formation you want to call it with the numbers. But um, for me, starting in goal, obviously, Gianluigi Buffon, uh, Danny Alves, Barsagli, Bonucci, Chiellini, and Sandro making up that sort of back five, back four transition. Pjanic and Kandira, I think, will we'll do well to control that deeper midfield area. Dybala, right behind this, the two strikers, or, or the striker and the left winger in Iguain and Mandzukic. 
So your interpretation is quite interesting. I think it's how Juve sort of set up with the ball when they played Monaco in that first leg where Dybala did drop into midfield, overloaded Monaco centrally and Mandzukic did make a lot of a move to become a striker. So it's going to be so interesting. It is a 4-4-2 in defence, but sometimes looks like a 3-5-2, sometimes looks like a 3-4-3. I'm going to call it a 4-4-2, but I think in possession they do play something different. So it'll be really interesting to see what Allegri does with Dybala, with Mandzukic, with Dani Alves in the final. In terms of Real Madrid, Nico, give me your side. Formation, the, the lot. I'm going with the classic 4-3-3, Dave. I think um, Gareth Bale and Carvajal have both been deemed fit, and Zidane himself has said, you know, the BBC, uh, Bale, Benzema, and Cristiano are undisputed starters, not because of their namesake, but because they're excellent players, and Bale is part of that. So, Taylor Navas in goal, Carvajal, Ramos, Varane, Marcelo, Casimiro as a holding midfielder, Modric and Cruz completing that midfield three, and then Bale, Benzema, and Ronaldo. What about you, Dave? You see, Nico, I'm, I'm flipping the script. I'm going 4-4-2 down in the same system that they played um, against Atletico Madrid. I think the same weaknesses of the... Juventus press in the 4-4-2 shape will be, uh, you know, will come out and it will be about Allegri and how he adapts that, which is more interesting than how Simeone adapted, because Simeone is pure 4-4-2 this season, um, or 4-2-4, should we say, when he's chasing a game, whereas, of course, Juve can switch to that back three. So I feel Real will start with a 4-4-2 diamond, Isco at the tip, Benzema, Ronaldo up top, midfield will be Casemiro holding, Modric on the right, Cruz on the left, back four, of course, Marcelo. Varane, Ramos, Carvajal and then Navas in goal. just like to talk about how good Ramos and, and Varane are. So, they're so good at defending those wide areas. You know, we talk about the modern day and how centre-backs get pulled into that zone on the counter-attack. You know, the wide area when the full-backs are pushed up. Varane and Ramos are just so good at defending those areas. I think that's one of the skills... I think that's that makes this side is that they can cover that ground. They have the pace, the ability. You know, Ramos used to be a right fullback. Varane is absolutely rapid. I think that's such an important factor as this Real Madrid side. But anyway, let's move on to a question that we had on Twitter from Abdusrah Zak. Here is she. Sorry about that. That is absolute destruction of your name. But anyway, it's a great question. And what we're going to talk about for the next part, which is how can Real Madrid beat Juventus or how can Juventus beat Real Madrid? So, Nico, I'm going to answer that first part, how Real Madrid can beat Juventus. And you're going to answer how Juventus can beat Real Madrid. Anyway, first up, I reckon Real Madrid can beat Juventus if they start this 4-4-2 diamond against Juventus' 4-4-2 because the press won't work. Juventus won't be able to have that same intensity that they had against Barcelona, that they had against Monaco in the first 10 minutes that really got them up the pitch, that really got them aggressive, that really got Barcelona to think, oh, we're in a game here. And I feel that's a massive part of um, Juventus's strategy is being so aggressive in those first 10, 20 minutes. That'll be negated with the 4-4-2 diamond. They'll have more men in midfield. They'll be able to recycle the ball better. And of course, it'll be Isco in between the lines. You think about that 4v2 in central midfield, Kadira and Pjanic will have to play up against Three player, four players, Isco, obviously Casemiro at the base, and then Modric and Cruz. Each one of those players is arguably world-class in that, that those positions. I just feel Juve midfield won't have enough. We saw in the FA Cup final how Arsenal went very narrow. They went for a diamond in midfield when they had possession of um, Ramsey, uh, Zaka, and then Ozil and... Sanchez against Matic and Kante that massive overload that 4v2 is going to be crucial and that's why I think Real will beat Juventus because Juventus will have to change to a 3-5-2 I think will happen then what Zidane will do is he'll bring on Vasquez um, he'll bring on Asensio the pace the 4-3-3 will come back out Ronaldo will go up front and Real Madrid will win the game and that's where I feel it will go that because Zidane starts with the ace card of a 4-4-2 diamond, he'll use that and he'll transition through his formations to the 4-3-3, the 4-5-1, and he'll just hit Juve on the break. 
Nico, how can Juventus beat Real Madrid? I think, you know, the majority of the way that they progress their possessions really is through the wings. So overloading those different areas, getting that relationship, being a little bit more direct through the likes of Miralem Pjanic, sort of bypassing that midfield. Because the thing about, like I said before, Real Madrid is that their, their pressing is a lot less man-oriented than it is sort of lane-oriented. They wait, they try to make interceptions through the intelligence of players like Casimiro, Tony Cruz and, and Luka Modric. If they can be a little bit more direct, if Real you know, take that bet and they say, okay, we are going to still try to try and compact the space, and then Juventus, you know, test them essentially, and and they go direct to, to players like Mandzukic who can bring it down for the likes of Dybala and uh, and Iguain. Then they can they can progress the the possession much quicker. They can get it out to Danny Alves, and then they can, they can attack them a little bit more, uh, perhaps aerially on the counter attack and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think that's that's one way that they'll be able to win the game. I think e- even if they go sort of without possession, um, they they can win. But especially sort of in possession, I think they can dominate this team and really switch the switch the play sort of between the uh, the on running sort of wing back type type roles. I'm not really sure what to call them anymore, considering they they sort of transition between left back and right back, Alexandro being a little bit more defensive and Dani Alves being a little bit more offensive. But I think also like you said, you know, Dibala dropping back into a, a midfield role and, and sort of maybe making those midfield numbers a little bit more even or overloading them depends on on who comes forward and who steps into midfield. He'll he'll definitely be a key player within that. And so I think being direct Going through Dybala and, and Dani Alves is really the, the, the way to go for uh, for Juventus. Very interesting, which moves us on nicely to a bit of chat about the the fullback, the big fullback clash of the game, which is a question that comes in from Twitter from um, Harris. That's a bundle of sass on Twitter, at a bundle of sass. Marcelo versus Dani Alves. So firstly, before we dive into the discussion, a little bit of a buffon quote right now that came out today. Dani Alves, when he signed for us, I sent him a message. Teach us how to win the Champions League. And that's an interesting one because Dani Alves, a serial winner, um, if he wins the Champions League, I think he'll become the most decorated player in European football history. But the big battle will be on that bar, uh, Juventus right-hand side. Real Madrid's left-hand side. Dani Alves versus Marcelo. Nico, who do you think is going to have the beating of their opponent? I think Dani Alves, like I said, will be able to get into that to sort of behind Marcelo because, like I said, um, if Real Madrid are, are sort of in possession, then Tony Cruz can slip into that left-back role. And then Marcelo tends to come up the field and Ronaldo maybe comes inside. Um, so if they overload that that right-hand side with Dani Alves, maybe Dybala coming more towards the wing area, they, 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 like I said, are a little bit more direct. They can get in behind Marcelo a little bit easier um, because he is going to try and move forward, especially considering um, the right-hand side of Juventus will be an area that uh, that Real Madrid will try to expose, being that Ronaldo is there, being that Marcelo is there. You know, a lot of their attacking output can come through that. And that's sort of maybe not necessarily a weakness in the eyes of Juventus, but maybe Real Madrid will view it that way in the sense that we've seen Barzagli play there. And if Dani Alves can get forward in the same way that they can expose Marcelo, they can expose that space. You know, if they can get the ball to Ronaldo quickly and he can sort of go one-on-one with Barzagli, you know, that's going to be a difficult situation that Juventus have put themselves in. 
in. So it's going to be the ex- <laughs> the battle of who can expose the the right and left the inside better, depending on how advanced the fullbacks get. And maybe Juventus wisen up to that and they say, okay, let's go with the left-hand side. And I think they have the ability to do that as well. Whereas maybe uh, Real Madrid are, are a little bit more dependent on their left-hand side, especially if uh, someone like Carvajal um, or Bale isn't isn't up to you know full fitness. Mm, very, very good points. I just had a little thought whilst you were talking that if Dybala can play behind that position, so basically what Dybala needs to do, Juve need to play 4-4-2 and they need to defend with those eight players, but what Dybala needs to do in the transition is pretty much hang in the inside right channel, like how Messi does well, did for Barcelona where the last time they won the Champions League on the counter-attack. You should just hang. It used to be a 4-3-3, but they drop back into a 4-4-2. So imagine the 4-4-2 uh, Juventus set up, but then Dybala hanging to that sort of right-hand side could be absolutely perfect because that is the hole, like you mentioned, where Juve can get at Real Madrid. In terms of the battle Marcelo versus Dani Alves, I think that it's going to be Marcelo that's going to be the victor. This is going to be his stamp to be to say, I am the best Brazilian fullback right now in European football. Sorry, Dani Alves, you had your time. It's now my time to take over. So I'm going to go with Marcelo. I think in terms of if he can pin um, Dani Alves back with his ability on the ball, um, his skills. I think as well, if Dani Alves put a big crunching tackling on Marcelo, Marcelo would get back up and would be back at him again. It's going to be a cracking battle. Which moves on to uh, Sarchan's question. At Sarkan, sorry, question on Twitter. Should Juve go with a back three or a back four? I think we've sort of already answered that, that it's a hybrid between the two, given the situation of where the ball is on the pitch. The most important tactical battle for you, Nico, BBC versus BBC, Dani Alves versus Marcelo, Dybala versus potentially Rafa Varane. Who are you going to go with? I think it all comes down to Dybala. Dybala has been the link-up man for the majority of this Juventus attack for for a lot of the year. And his ability to, or maybe the, the side's ability to maybe focus on an Higuain or, a, or now an Alves or or other players within that midfield setup. You know, he can float into midfield, like you said, into the right channel. It's going to be, Juventus' success will largely depend on how well Dybala is able to, to operate in roles that maybe aren't, super traditional but that he's still somewhat used to playing in and I think it largely comes down to him as to whether they'll be successful or not big 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 game for the young Argentine so let's move on to uh, some bit of a transfer question uh, Karim Casas asking uh, Kaylon, if Kaylon Navas has a good game uh, does it mean Real won't move for David De Gea Nico quick opinion on that <laughs> No, I don't think it's it's dependent on one result as to whether Real Madrid will decide to go for De Gea or not. Another, um, excuse me, sort of cog in the in the works as to how Real Madrid choose to to go about their transfer businesses is the marketability of certain players, and I think they bought Kaylor Navas. When people were very high on him, you know, he had a very good uh, outing in the 2014 World Cup. And But, you know, longevity-wise, nobody in Madrid has really taken to him, even when he's been by far and away the best goalkeeper in, in, in the squad. Um, David De Gea has the marketability and also has the skills to back up the marketability. So I think he's someone that they've always wanted. You know, they're, they're a very uh, aesthetic team to, to some extent. So I think regardless of how well Kaylor plays in the in the final, uh, Real will still try to go after David De Gea. <laughs> they'll try, they'll try, Nico, but we've got some dodgy fax machines over in Manchester. Which moves us on to another question from the Pac Mouse, a Manchester City fan. That's at Pac Mouse on Twitter. Go and give him a follow. He always drops some good questions. If the game finished level after 90 minutes, who do you think has the greater chance of winning in extra time? I'm going to go Real Madrid. I think their bench is a lot better in terms of their impact. We've seen the likes of Asensio, the likes of Vasquez, who just 
consistently come off the bench and really make a big impact. Essential's pace, his ability on the ball, he's going to be an unbelievable player. Nico, you, you can't really argue with that, right? No, I, I won't disagree with you on this one. I think um, there's not too many players that, that Juventus can bring off the bench besides uh, Quadrado and maybe Stefano Stuaro, but they're not really, um, or at least Stefano Stuaro isn't really a, an offensive uh, player. And someone like Marco Asensio, you know, he's he's been excellent whenever he's he's been able to play for Real Madrid. And I think people don't really know how to play him yet. You know, he mm. can play centrally, he can play so wide, and he brings, yeah, he's, he's, and he's so good. You know, he can mm. finish well. So I think uh, if the game were to go to a state where the main players are getting extraordinarily tired, then, then Real Madrid takes it. Well, I think what would be so interesting is if Real score an early goal, do they do what they did last season when they sat back and they they gave the initiative to Atletico Madrid because that'd be a bit dangerous against this Juve side. But anyway, it's more permutations of things that we don't know has happened yet. Moving on to at Crablegs's question on Twitter. That's at Crablegs. Great name. If you could give the uh, Real slash Juve job to a manager beside Allegri Zidane for one game, we're going to say this one game. Who would it be, Nico? It's a difficult one. Um, together. I reckon <laughs> it'd be nice to could see... be an interesting one. For, for, for which there. job? For which job? Uh, let's do Yardim Juve. Okay. Because that makes sense. Okay. And then Rail. Who do you reckon Rail? Arsene Wenger? Just to see, Arsene just to Wenger, see what happens. Babe. Just to see what, what, just to what see are you on about? about? Maybe, yeah. maybe Yardim to, to Rail. Yardim to Rail, Yardim to Juve. So we're doing Yardim versus Yardim. Oh, di- my brain fart. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Nalgosman? Pep Guardiola to uh, to Real Madrid. Ooh, okay, I like that controversy. Let's let's stick with that. That'll be a, that'll be a really weird final, uh, <laughs> contrasting styles. So we're going to do a bit of like, would you uh, would you rather now? Um, but it's more like, who would you pick? Um, so first up, we're going to go with Isco or Bale for the final. Nico, you've gone Bale, which was in your team, and I've gone Isco. Correct. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, Zidane agrees with me and not you, so that makes a whole lot of sense. And then also, um, you know, I think uh, exposing the the right hand side of, of Juventus's defense, like I like I touched on before, is more the key. And with Bale on the field, they can do that a little bit easier as opposed to to Isco when they'd be attacking a stronger left hand side. You know, with Alexandro and Chiellini and those guys. So I think their their talents are better are better spent on trying to expose the right hand side as opposed to to the left, and they can do that better with uh, with Bale. So you think Gareth Bale will start the game? I don't. Which answers Joe Murphy's question. That's at Joe underscore Murphy 08 on Twitter. So I don't think Bale's going to start. Nico does. Which moves on to uh, Jay Alaban 5 at Jay Alaban 5 on Twitter. Benucci or Sergio Ramos? We're basically going to say, who would you rather have at your football club right now, Nico? This is, such, this is, this is probably the hardest question I've ever asked. I think... It's tough because they both they're both so yeah. good at different things, um, but I'd probably say Benucci. You see, the thing that I think would suit Man City more would be Sergio Ramos because he can, like I mentioned before, is so good at defending those wide areas. But then yeah. Benucci gives you that out the back. You see, I think Benucci would fit perfectly into Mourinho's Manchester United because he is one angry, angry man. And if you come <laughs> and try and rob him in the streets of Naples, he will fight you. He will fight you. And that's Gun exactly to his what I want. Doesn't that is care. exactly exactly what I want. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the last few questions. First off, Carlos Aldavia, a friend of the Front Three and the Stat Monday Football po- Podcast, should one game in June really have as much to say on the Ballon d'Or um, when it's decided in January? Nico, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, I don't think one game is is necessarily indicative of an entire season. Um, so you know, I don't, I don't think it has. I don't even think it has that much weight on the Ballon d'Or. Um, to be honest with you, but you know, uh, the Ballon d'Or format has actually changed, so I don't, I don't really credit it as much anymore. So. You see, I think it's got a bigger. I think this final is the biggest final in the European stage, the biggest final in world football right now. Bigger than the World Cup, bigger than the European Championships, bigger than anything. So for me, this does bigger, massive... bigger than the World Cup, Dave. The, than, the Champions, League Champions League is bigger, is than, bigger than the World, than the World Cup, a hundred percent for me. <laughs> the numbers, the numbers are against you on that one. The numbers are Nico, but I know my shizzle. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say, yeah, it, it should one game have in June? Yes, it should have a massive because it is the biggest thing that you can win right now. And if you do put in a real good performance along with a season performance, then you deserve to win the Ballon d'Or. Which moves us on to um, for for Tweets's question on Twitter. That's a United account, a good account, a fun account. Who asks a question um, about, do you think if I've been to the stadium to watch him fight... At the real Joe Calzaghi will bung me a ticket if I ask nicely. I hope so. And if you get a ticket, get me one and then we'll sit together. But anyway, let's finish off with our score predi- predictions. Nico, what are you going to go with? What is going to happen? What is the score going to be? Who is going to score? Give these guys the answers so they can win some big ackers. I think I think it's going to be Juventus 2-1. Uh, Iguain will score and Semi Kadira will score and Ronaldo will score for Real Madrid. So you've just answered Shane Pay's question on Twitter. That's at it's Shane ninety seven. So you're saying his question is: Will Buffon finally get what he deserves? And you're saying yes. But unfortunately, Nico, I'm saying no. It's going to be three one to Real Madrid. Ronaldo hat trick. Get your money on that, and also put that mix that together. So we're going to go Ronaldo hat trick, three one Real Madrid, and Casemiro to pick up a cheese, a yellow card. <laughs> and to finish things off, though, we've got one final question from Oscar Anderson. Oscar. 7977 on Twitter. Who will get man of the match in the game? I'm going to go Cristiano Ronaldo. Nico, you're going to go. Um, yeah, I'll say Dybala. And then the big part this is the last part of the show. Who would win this game if it was like the NBA where you play seven matches? That would be so good. And I'm I know. Going to go, I'm going to go with Real Madrid. You're going to go with Real Madrid over seven yeah. games? Because of the man, man management, Nico. Remember the man management. You're wrong, Dave. It would be Juventus all the way. They do it in five. Five games. <laughs> Bold. They do it in five games. You're mad. Uh, Real Madrid would do it in, uh, in in four, mate. See you later. <laughs> a sweep. A clean a sweep. Clean sweep. Juventus, clean no, wins. Uh, no wins. No wins. Zero. Okay. Right. Zidane for Allegri nil. Game, set, <laughs> Champions League. Anyway, guys, that's that. That's that for the Champions League chat. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a long one. We are currently rocking about 50-odd minutes. Uh, but 50 for minutes listening. for the Statman Dave Football that's, Podcast. It's great. So it's, a it's, it's always great when Nico underscore Omorales on Twitter joins me. So make sure you go give him a follow and check out all of his wonderful work. But anyway, that's been that. I hope the Champions League final is as good as we have made out. It's going to be a fantastic battle of tactics, players, and managers. But anyway, guys, over and out. See you later. That is a wrap. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market.